Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Christmas is coming. Can you feel it? Christmas is coming. Stop and think about that phrase. Kind of a little, a little strange, isn't it? How was Christmas coming exactly? Well, Christmas, of course, isn't really going or coming anywhere. In a sense, we could maybe say it's we who are going toward Christmas, not that Christmas is coming towards us. However, in a sense, the phrase is appropriate in, in a spiritual or theological context because it does help to describe the events of Christmas, the actual Christmas, the birth of Jesus, so well. Because at Christmas, God himself came to us in human form, in flesh and blood and human soul, in the person of Jesus. Now, in regard to the passage of time, however, we do often speak in this way of something, some event is coming, my birthday is coming, for example, uh, their wedding is coming, the new year is coming. In a way, this is also quite fitting, because as much as we might like to think of, of ourselves as being in control of things in our lives, as being masters of time, yet it is ultimately time that is a master of us, in a sense. Time comes and goes in spite of us, in spite of, of all our efforts, of everything that we might try to do to, to stave off time or to, to try to, to slow down the advancing of age. The question is not so much how we master time, but how we use time. What we do as time comes to meet us and then rushes on past us. How we deal with that depends on what we think that time is bringing to us. Time brings forces to bear upon us that we simply have no control over, whether we might like to think that we do or not. Many people spend their lives kind of just waiting out time. They have very little expectation and just hope that time will not be too harsh on them as it comes and goes. For so many people, time is just something that happens. And, and the best you can do is just to accept whatever time brings your way. Well, there might be a lot of tension that results from that kind of mindset. Since there are many unknowns lying in the future, things that, that could potentially happen that we might be a little bit uh, concerned about, things that we are pretty certain will happen if, if enough time passes. It's possible that something good, something very unexpectedly good might happen to us. However, uh, if you know about Murphy's Law, of course, there's always the possibility that if something bad could happen, it, it probably eventually will happen. Just waiting, just floating along throughout life, is usually, that attitude is usually characterized more by kind of anxiety and worry about the future rather than a feeling of hope and confidence. And so very often life has a way of, of so easily getting out of hand and getting out of the, the grip of our control. Now in order to offset that feeling of impending doom, we try to do our best, we set up uh, numerous goals that we work towards and try to achieve, hoping that in this way we'll be able to keep some semblance of order in our lives, 
to maintain some direction throughout lives, to, to exercise some measure of control over matters that, that so often otherwise easily tend to spin out of control. In the end, though, we know that all of those short-term goals that we set and work towards are mostly only meaningful for a relatively short amount of time. They may give us a measure of satisfaction as we check them off the list and, and as they go on, but when all is said and done, the only thing that we are ultimately waiting for in the end is death. Death rears its head over every project that we undertake and eventually will claim all of us and all our efforts here in this life. And whatever meaning and, and direction those efforts might give to our life is ultimately all washed out in the grave. And whether we admit it or not, a life of just waiting is eventually swallowed up in meaningless nothingness. And all our efforts to avoid that conclusion are, are ultimately only self-deception. Because nothing can withstand the onslaught of that final time that is coming to meet us. The day of our death and ultimately judgment day. However, here in our reading from James chapter 5, a message from the Lord changes everything that we have just been talking about. In verse 8 we read, Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. Now when we know about this coming of the Lord, we're no longer just waiting throughout life, uh, kind of listlessly wandering throughout life. Instead, we have a purpose. We have a goal and a focus. We are eagerly expecting something that is coming in the future. So time for us is not just rushing senselessly by. Rather, instead, it is bringing on its wings someone who can change all our restless waiting and all our, our worrying and, and anxious foreboding. Eager expectation is very different than just waiting. Expectation means to wait with a, a definite sense of anticipation, looking forward to what is to come. It's more than just a wish or a dream. It's based on some reality, rather than simply being an, an idealistic longing for the future. Events like weddings, birthdays, holiday celebrations, and, and all such uh, festivals are days of expectation that are based on some reality. They're not just idealistic wishes that something would happen, we hope, but they are anticipations of some future event or remembrances of very real events that have happened in the past that are grounded in reality. And so saying that Christmas is coming sets up expectations that are quite different than simply just waiting. When we are eagerly expecting something, there are a couple of things that, that are quite different than if we are just waiting. One thing is that expectation keeps the anticipated event very clearly in the forefront of our minds. That one point in the oncoming future focuses all our attention and energy. For example, if if you have been married, or if you have a close relative who has been married or is planning a wedding, you know that the, the preparations for that wedding very often take a lot of time and energy. So in the lead-up to that wedding, 
the, the, the engaged couple and perhaps very often their families as well are, are so wrapped up and focused in all the, the planning and, and all the other activities and arrangements that need to be made. Maybe think about one of the ways that we most frequently use the word expecting. An expecting couple, and a couple expecting a child, uh, has a great amount of their attention and energy focused on the coming birth of that child and on, on all the changes that that will bring for their life. Christmas also does that same kind of thing. All of, of our attention, it seems, in the weeks and perhaps now even the months leading up to Christmas is focused on what is to come, on, on the celebrations and the parties and the get-togethers and all the planning and, and everything else that needs to happen. All our present activity is shaped by that coming future event that we are looking forward to. So that is the frame of mind that the Apostle James calls us to in this verse in our reading, verse 8. Strengthen your hearts, because the coming of the Lord is near. Let your hearts and lives take their shape and form in this one overarching expectation that Jesus is coming back, and he is coming back soon. And the second thing that happens differently when we are eagerly expecting something is that control over that event is removed from us. For example, again, the, the pregnant mother, she's expecting a baby, a baby, but there's not much really that, that she can do for that baby in her womb, except simply to let nature take its course. She can't speed up or slow down the development and growth of the baby in her womb. She can only perhaps moderately relieve her own uh, feelings of discomfort that may arise throughout the course of those months. But as soon as the child is conceived, that expectation of the future event of the birth is established. And so it is with all expectation. And Christmas is like that too. We know that Christmas will come on December 25th, whether we feel that we are ready for it to come or not. Two weeks from today, we will wake up in the morning and Christmas will be there, whether we feel ready for it or not. So it is with the second coming of Jesus, as referred to in our reading. The only point of difference is that while we know the date of our Christmas celebration, we don't know the date of Jesus' return. Now, if we had been in the shoes of, of the people around Mary and Joseph at the time of Jesus' birth, or before that time, we would have known nothing more than at some given date in the future, this baby would be born. But little would we have dreamt of the earth-shaking nature of that special birth. John the Baptizer speaks in something of these terms through his question to Jesus through his own disciples in today's Gospel reading in Matthew chapter 11. When John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, was Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, that God had promised through his prophets of old to send for his people, or should John and his disciples and the other people of that time continue waiting and expecting, looking forward for someone else in the future for that promise of the Savior to be fulfilled? Does this mean then that everything is taken out of our hands since certain events such as Jesus' second coming are 
are in the future and, and in a way that, in, in a time that we have no control over? Well, not at all. Paradoxically, in a sense, everything is placed into our hands. Now, the fact that we can't control death doesn't mean that we are simply to resort in our lives to just waiting for that time to happen. No, instead, our expectation of death in the future can put great meaning into our lives right now. Again in verse 8, Strengthen your hearts, because the coming of the Lord is near. Our expectation that Jesus will return puts meaning into every moment of our lives leading up to that future event. Again, Christmas can illustrate this. The coming of Christmas, as we mentioned, triggers a lot of activity. You aren't simply just sitting around and waiting for Christmas to come. No, you are eagerly expecting Christmas. And that sets loose a great burst of activity, uh, perhaps in your household, baking and shopping for presents and wrapping and preparing them and, and many other kinds of preparations. And so it is with our expectation of Jesus' return. We don't know exactly when he will return. And so the focus of our activity is not on one specific point in time, one date on the calendar in the future. Rather, we are focused on that anticipated event that we do know will come in the future. And so that makes our preparation a daily routine, a regular part of our lives, rather than just simply a, a once-in-a-while kind of activity. Since we don't know exactly when he will come, God wants us to always be preparing. Our expectations of Jesus coming changes what we do and why we do it. We engage ourselves in, in doing what we would want him to find us doing when he comes back. And that is one major guideline for our lives as Christians. What do you think Jesus would want to find you busy and devoted doing when he returns. Given your situation in life currently, your gifts that he has given to you, the, the opportunities that he has placed before you in your path, your answer to that question becomes the basic foundation of your life's values and actions. Our expectation of Jesus coming also changes our reasons for doing things. If you expect Jesus to return in angry judgment on you and on the sins that you have committed, then your works and your attitudes, your reason for doing what you do, will be quite different from what you would do if you expect him to return, as he has promised, in gracious forgiveness and in merciful acceptance of you because of his love for you. It all depends on how you view Jesus and his suffering and death and resurrection. If Jesus' death was simply an act of human vengeance by those uh, leaders of the Jewish people and, and the Roman leaders who, who were upset that this man was, was taking away their popularity or was causing insurrection among the people, then, if you view Jesus' return in that lens, then you might be afraid that Jesus' coming will mean judgment and vengeance on people and on their sins against God. But if you view Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection as the way by which Jesus 
mercifully gave himself for our sins and the way that opened up the door to God's love and grace and forgiveness and salvation for us, then with that attitude, with that knowledge, then we will eagerly look forward to Jesus' return because we know that that is the fulfillment of his promise to come again and to receive us into his perfect heavenly kingdom. And that's what we see referenced in our first reading for today from Isaiah chapter 35, with all of that spectacular language about how joyous that heavenly kingdom will be. And if that is our expectation, then the reasons for what we do in our daily lives will be shaped and formed by that love of God, that love that originated in God's heart for us, even as sinful as we are, that love that he has revealed to us, first in in the baby in Bethlehem, born in, in humble conditions, although he is the eternal Son of God, that same Jesus who will return again on the last day to bring us to that heavenly home. As we see in our reading, this expectation requires patience. Just waiting leads to impatience and frustration because it it doesn't really know exactly what it is waiting for, whether that future event is even worth waiting for or not, whether it has meaning or not. Verse 7, we read, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then James uses that example of a farmer, a farmer waiting for the rain to come and water his crops. Now, I'm not too familiar with uh, the the weather patterns uh, and and how that affects farming in this area, but I do know that in some areas of the world, there is a very definite time period of the year or multiple time periods where farmers can expect a certain amount of rain for a certain period of time of the year. Now, there's nothing that that farmer can do to hasten uh, that period of rain that is necessary for the growth of the crops. He simply has to patiently wait for that to come. The prophets in the Old Testament are also mentioned as examples of this kind of patient waiting. The prophets through whom God spoke his promises of the Savior had been waiting for hundreds or even thousands of years, generation after generation, before God finally fulfilled all of those promises by sending Jesus. And in the meantime, as they waited, as they faithfully spoke the messages that God gave to them, they very often suffered greatly, even at the hands of God's own people that God sent them to speak to. We hear Jesus speaking about John the Baptist in Also, those kinds of terms in our gospel reading for today. The prophets of the Old Testament and John the Baptist knew that God would reveal his merciful presence at some point in the future, but they didn't know exactly when that would happen. They were not, however, men who just waited, just biding their time throughout life with with kind of a, a wishful thinking about the future some kind of idealistic dreaming that they hoped would be realized. Quite the opposite. They were people of sure expectation. They knew well that human idealism is always subject to frustration. They knew that the renewal of the world would need divine intervention to accomplish. They trusted 
that God would not fail in keeping his promise and intervening in the course of human history for our salvation. That was their ultimate expectation. And their entire lives and their hope and activities were all shaped by that confidence that God would keep his promises. So we're told in verse 8, you be patient too. And again, that doesn't mean that we should just sit idly by and wait. Nor does it direct us to human patience, awaiting the realization of unrealistic human ideals. Rather, it means that we are to be patient in our expectation because we can be sure of this, that the coming of the Lord is near. He who has come in the past in his birth in the manger of Bethlehem is coming again with all the glory of heaven for our salvation. We can stake our lives on that because he has promised it. We can expect him to keep that promise. Amen.